Welcome to the James Quandall Show, the space where I interview the world's experts and share how you can live your life to the fullest and build the life of your dreams. Today's guest is Scott Ford, who's a jujitsu-loving, woodworking, beekeeping entrepreneur who's also the managing director, partner, and wealth advisor at Carson Wealth. Influenced by his father, Scott has always had a passion for small business and entrepreneurship. When his own father couldn't find financial freedom, he knew what needed to be done with his life. It's Scott's mission to spread education about finances and finally give people the tools that they need to reach financial independence through financial wisdom. During this episode, Scott and I discussed how to create a family constitution, a family bank, and what it takes to build a seven-generation family legacy like the Rockefellers, one that will stand the test of time. He shared what many billionaires don't have, but what many people with only a small amount of money in the bank have, and explained the differences between hoarding and giving. Finally, Scott taught me what an infinite entrepreneur is and why it's important to begin focusing on self-healing first, then we, and then everyone else. There's so much value packed into this short episode, so please give it a listen and send me a message with your thoughts at James Quantall on Instagram or Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe or follow and share this episode with a friend. Man, we've been chatting for 15 minutes and we should have been recording. I say that, that's like, I feel like that should be the new tagline for this podcast. We should have been recording because I bring on such interesting people like you and there's information and knowledge being shared from the first second you get on and the audience misses out on a lot of that. And so I'm really excited to chat with you and welcome to the show. Um, We've already been talking about farming and beekeeping and woodworking and hunting and so much stuff. Um, So I'm actually really looking forward to this one. But really, just kind of jumping in quick, what is Infinite Entrepreneur? Because from my research, it seems like you're like me and probably a lot of the listeners. You've been starting businesses and side hustles and side gigs and and all these things since before it was cool, before it was like the mainstream thing to do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. And so I'll tell a little bit about that, James. So Infinite Entrepreneur really is my life's work and I'll lay it out there. And it, it started for me literally being an entrepreneur to your, to your point. In middle school, I started doing magic. Uh, probably too much attention on that and not enough attention on school, but I was pretty good at it. So ended up started doing birthday parties and charging for it. Then I would do table magic. My parents would take me to restaurants and I'd be doing table magic while people were eating. And so it all started there. And so for me, the infinite entrepreneur really is a method of, and then, you know, out of there, I got into uh, financial services and I, I hit the ground running and I'd never look back. That said, what went well for me was being an entrepreneur. I pushed hard. I grinded it out. I figured it out and would be resilient and go over around and through things to get the results. However, you can get you can go too hot and I did that. And the flip side of that is you can also get too cold where you create just a lifestyle business and with just a lifestyle business you're not able to reinvest in the business enough to continue to bring the right value to the clients the people you serve nor do you have a high enough growth trajectory that you can keep A players on the team which is the key to any successful business because they demand a growth trajectory. And I did both. I made both those mistakes. And then about 2009, it hit me like, wait a minute, there's a way where, and this is going to sound so cliche, like if I heard this, I'd be like, whatever, where you can have it all. And here's what I mean by that. You can have a life that you just absolutely love. You can have a family and you can create harmony there. You can have a business that aligns with your values where you're making a difference and an impact in a wor- in, in the world that is profitable. And you can have enough money to, to accomplish anything you want. And that is the combination of my life's work of what I landed on calling this the infinite entrepreneur of those four things, the life piece, the family relationship piece, the business piece, and then money as an energy to support all those areas. From what you've seen, where have you seen people in that spectrum of being hot or being cold entrepreneurs more frequently? Oh, yeah, that's pretty easy. It's hot. And most of us run hot. And it's like, 
I'll give you an example. And, and are you familiar with David Brooks's, I don't, I'm going to say newest book. And I think this book, Second Mountain. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, so Rich and I have talked about this and we said, love David Brooks, love the book Second Mountain. And we think there's actually a third mountain. So I don't want to say he missed it because I don't think he did. I just think there's actually a third mountain and that's what I'm speaking to. So what's the, what's the premise? Well, the first mountain's all about us. And a lot of us end up staying on this mountain. You're just, you're cranking, you're climbing, you're, you're hustling, you're making money, you want to grow, you're conquering the world, you're doing these things. And it is a bit me focused. Then a lot of times we get to a position where financially it's what we were chasing and we caught it. And then it's like, oh, uh, now what? Is that really what I wanted? Yeah. Or it's like, is this it? Really? <laughs> it, it, exactly. Looking around. So then his premises, which I agree with, we start climbing this second mountain where it's more focused on legacy and impact and contribution. That's the second mountain. And I think that's beautiful. To me, the third mountain's not a climb anymore because in the second mountain, you're still climbing, you're still grinding, you're still going up this mountain. I believe you can structure it in such a way. Yes, there's a little bit of climbing, but it's it, it's like it's 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 more of flow. So you hit a transcendent state, what I call that third. Now all of a sudden you're in flow with the harmony of nature and what is, and you're not sweating climbing any mountain, you're more in a flow state. And that's what I believe is the actual third mountain. And to me is the ultimate goal to get to is that transcendent flow. It, it's, the way you describe that, it made me think of just a typical hike where you drive an hour outside the city and you just go hike for a few hours and you're not struggling with any of it. You're maybe with a good friend and you're having deep conversations and really enjoying yourself, but it's a restful hike. You come back from it feeling rejuvenated instead of like sweaty and grimy and tired. That's a really good example and haven't described it that way. It's exactly what it is versus climbing Mount Everest. What if it could just be a hike? Yeah, a little, there's a little uphill and there's a little downhill and there's a few turns. It's pleasurable. You actually can get energy from it. It's that reciprocal laser. Yes, relationship. You're expending some energy and you're getting some energy. Well, then you can do that all day long. And that's the idea of flow. That's what I was just thinking is you could do that for 30, 40 years. And yes. I have friends who retired at standard retirement age from a career they worked in for 40, 50 years and didn't know what to do anymore. Like they didn't have a hike to go on. They went from hot climbing to just like being at base camp doing nothing. And it, I think that's a lot of times where people get stuck. Yes, a hundred percent. We become, you know, in as business, and I can speak to this. I lived it. You know, the most worshipped addiction is workaholism, and we can become so identified with that. And what ends up happening that you sell that? Gosh, can be depression, can be some really dark places. And the point is, it doesn't have to be. And here's what's interesting: I'm actually a proponent of selling enough to get your number off the table. I actually think that is beneficial. So I'm not against selling the business, especially to take your number. And it may be a million bucks and it may be a hundred billion, whatever it is for the individual, or it may be a hundred thousand, doesn't matter. Take that number sooner than later. Cause now if that creates that economic independence, financial freedom, where you no longer are working about money at all, man, you can swing for the fences for some really cool stuff. The key is it's not about just the business. This is like, this is the idea of infinite entrepreneur. It's about you as an individual being whole, complete, and healthy. It's about you as a family being in harmony. And look, I'm not saying all this figured out. I don't. I do have the process figured out and I'm living it and I figured some of it out. Still working at it. The family is the harmony. And then the business, I call it the four Ps of a sustainable business. How can you have a business sustainable? It's going to be here for a hundred years. And then- how can we simplify the whole financial wealth management? By the way, that's what I've done since 91. How do we simplify that piece and be congruent using that money to because we vote with our dollars? How do we use that money to support our values versus being incongruent? Why is it that entrepreneurs oftentimes are so focused on 30 years from now that they aren't even enjoying their life 
today. Like they they forget about today, where they are right now, to the point where it's became a cliche where if you're successful in business, you're twice divorced and you don't know your kids. It's like, why is that? That's exactly it. That's the that is the issue. I think it's a couple things. One, I think it's programmed into us at an early age. So I give you an example. I watched this Alan Watts video years ago and I've never forgot it. So he talks about the power. I think it's called the power of now. But the point of it is you 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 start in school. You're in you're in kindergarten, then you go to grade school, and then you go to middle school, and you can't wait to get to high school. And in high school, it's like I'm gonna go to college. You get to college, it's like I can't wait to graduate get this killer job. And then I'm meet this, my spouse, my soulmate, and then we're going to have kids and can't wait to have kids. And then I'm going to get this promotion. So I get the corner office and then I'm going to own the company. I own the company. And you get to like, whatever the age is and go, what in the, am I doing like this, this all there is who sold me this, but that's our culture versus all you really had all along the way is exactly what you were saying which is the present moment. There's nothing wrong with goals. Example, I said we're in wealth management and it is, I've been doing it since 91. And most everyone in our industry talks about, man, James, let us manage your portfolio. And like 30 years from today, you're going to have so much money and it's going to be an amazing life. And it's like, there's so many freaking variables in that 30 year window. Well, what you don't know, Scott, is I'm only going to live 20 years. So what point, what good is that? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And all you had was like right now. So I'm like, let's flip all that on its head. And in wealth management say, what can we, yes, let's plan for the future. That's wise. However, let's focus on today. How can we use the money to you, you live a maximum life in 2022? That should be the focus. And it's same in business. Yes, let's have a vision. And the benefit of creating a long-term vision done right, it can actually create space for you to live today, right? So I think one of the things where we get caught up in business is there's no such thing as too big of a vision or goal. That's not, that's, that's not true. It's too unrealistic of a time frame. So if we can wrap these visions in a 25 or 100 year framework, whatever, that can create the margin and space where you can actually get there in grace and style and actually live today. Um, so I'm hoping I'm answering your questions. I think it's ingrained into us and from society. Um, I think industries put it into us because they benefit from that. Um, and, and then some of it is self-inflicted, uh, I believe, as far as not doing the healing work individually so that you can show up focused on the present moment. I want to talk about the healing work because I think that's the key to this is what you're doing in solitude and then what you're doing with your spouse and other key members of your tribe. But I'm really curious, what was your aha moment? Like what made you realize you had to switch? Something had to have happened, right? Yeah, multiple things. You get these aha moments along the way. And so I was set on this career career with several aha moments. And then what, what woke me up a bit um, at a colleague and friend um, challenged me in 2008 or nine. And this is where I started this pivot from, you know, early on, just burning at both ends and too focused on the business. That was my life, period. Because look, what's on your calendar is your agenda and priority, no matter what you say. And if I looked at mine, it was just freaking work, period. And in the culture and the environment at that time in financial services in 2008 and 2009, was it was an explosive time period in the business too. 100%, 100%. And it's worship to be a worship workaholic in this culture, you know? And then I had a stint where, I was definitely way more balanced. It was more of a balance. I was I was more of a lifestyle practice. Like I don't know my hours, but I was working probably half the hours to make sure take the kids, pick them up from school, be at events, and no regrets in any of that. Yet, to create the value, I mean, I really think if you're going to be in business, I think the answer has to be: Can you be the best at the world at what you're doing? And if you cannot, I think you need to find something where you can answer that yes. That's my just personal belief. And I was challenged with that. I was asked, Scott, if you went to bed and didn't get up without a shadow of a doubt, 
is the firm that you have, without a shadow of a doubt, the best at what you do. And that tortured me. Locally and geographically, absolutely no issue. So I started to expand out. I'm like, man, there's bigger firms. There's more resources. Ah, And it sent me on a quest to solve that and then solve it in such a way that I could answer that as an absolute yes and could still have a quality of life to set my schedule and do the things I wanted to do and have money to be able to support those things and, and do my best to have harmony in the family. And so that was the pivotal moment was that challenging question is the firm you have the absolute firm you would want for all your family and everyone you know, um, you know, in, in the United States, are you the absolute best in the world at what you do? So in prior to 2007, 2008, what was your work life and your home life balance? I started James early. Um, I, so I started in 91 in the insurance business. I founded this company to operate as a virtual family office for business owners and entrepreneurs it's always been my quest in 96. That seems, by the way, just sorry to interrupt, but that seems really early because I've been hearing a lot more about that in the last five to 10 years. And I've seen some research on family offices and how maybe at that period there was only a few hundred and now there's thousands upon thousands of them. And yeah. so I just wanted to call that out, that you were way Thank ahead you. of the game. Way. And what happened, so a little more of my backstory. So I was actually uh, raised in a, a minister's home and they didn't, dad didn't take a salary as a minister. It was too small of a church. So he actually did insurance to make a living. Uh, was And then one of the pivotal moments for me was they ended up filing for bankruptcy. So this is, a, this is one of the mm, indelible marks I had as a kid when I saw mom crying and I was figuring out why it was because they filed bankruptcy. And I look back, it's part of what led me into wealth management. Well, in doing that, I started insurance on my own uh, right out of school and was working with business owners and entrepreneurs. And what I found was money was complicated. It's why mom and dad filed bankruptcy. These business owners, entrepreneurs, same thing. They were great at their trade, clueless because they didn't have an interest in it. And then who they were working with, there was no collaboration and coordination. Being an entrepreneur, we see needs and uh, you know, things that need to be beneficial to people. And we, we focus on it. It's exactly what I did. So founded Cornerstone in 96 to really operate as a virtual family office. And by the way, we didn't open the board, the, the doors in 96 with that figured out. It was just the dream. It was just the quest. So you're right though. I was really early to that space. Uh, and I've never looked back at to this day. It, it's all about how can we make money simple, for business owners become that virtual family office for them so they can focus on what's most important to them and uh, make money simple along the way. It seems like it's such a common thing from my vantage point, the people I work with, authors I've worked with, brands I've supported. I get to know a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners who are successful in our culture's terms. They've made a lot of money. People know their names, but they seem to have people around them a lot of times who are trying to take it. And I see it a mile away sometimes. I'm like, no, 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 don't let that person in your life. They are just trying to take something from you. Can't you see it? And they don't. And they get burned. And they get burned again. And they still don't see it. I, yes. It drives me crazy. I don't know if you witnessed that. Oh, 100%. 100%. And, and look, you and you had said this too, like this is more of a new phenomenon, right? Go back to the Rockefellers and some of these, you know, billionaire type families. And yeah, they have their own family office, which simply means, by the way, they have a CPA, they have a tax attorney, they have someone doing the books, they have insurance, they have all just for the, their team and family, right? Most of us mere mortals can't afford that. And that's where I was like, that's what I wanted to solve. How for people like you and I, can we get access to this without being a Rockefeller? And I bring that out because this is now a buzzword. Now everyone's talking about it and everyone's a, a bit of an embellishment, but a lot of people are talking about it. Uh, very few are actually doing it and actually delivering it. It's just, it's a, it's a cool word and it's a, it's a, it's a worthy cause. It's hard to put together. I've been working at it since 96. So I just wanted to, to, you know, speak to that and call that out a little bit because I think it's, it's relevant to, 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 um, for people to be aware of. And then you mentioned, yes, so many people, sh this is a huge missing element in all industries, including ours. And that is this, 
most people hear about 30, if you're lucky, 35% of a conversation and then launch to solutions. And that never ends well. Why does it happen? And this is, I, I'm trying to go full circle to your question. Because they have a freaking agenda. They, they're compensated in a certain way. So you can see it and sniff it as soon as you start the conversation. I think this is what you're referring to. So someone shows up to someone you work with, or let's say one of my clients, I immediately know if there's an agenda, right? You can just smell it a mile away. And when there is, and I'm not saying all agendas are bad, However, there's times to just show up without one, because if not, you're only going to be able to see and hear through the lens of your agenda, and that's not helping the person you're serving. Is that a skill you can learn if you are listening to this and you've had some some bites and scrapes to read people or I think for, okay, just backing up, I've talked about this on the show before because I'm for me, it's super obvious, but I also worked in retail for almost 20 years. And if that hired thousands of people, trained thousands of people and served tens of thousands of customers. So I just know people and I can get a sense of someone's being pretty quickly. Um, but I'm curious your thoughts on that because you, I don't deal with people's money. So it's got to be even more so in your business. <laughs> it is. It is. I think that question, James, is this is how I would answer it. I think some of it is innate. I think some of us are more uh, impacted than others, I'll call it. And like, if you would have said, Scott, you're, you're probably an empath. Growing up, like, because I, I was just the way I was raised, I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, are you kidding me? And now at this stage, I, of course I am, right? And now I look at my family, like, oh my gosh, you know, you took all that on. Uh, you don't, you maybe you don't show it, but there, there is that. And I'm just going to say, I do think there's some of us that have more sense on that level. Um, it's not a good or bad. I just think there we are born with it. And then I do think you can hone that skill. So, you know, I've been doing this for about 30 years and like meeting with people and business owners and families, you develop, you know, over all those years, oh, you're, you're getting a feel of what's going, what, what's not being said that's obviously needing to be said, right? What's the elephant in the room that we're not talking about here? And you can get a sense of reading people uh, of the of what they're not saying, but what they are saying without words. So connecting this back to our conversation in a way, um, the where I see this being really helpful is I know that this is a weakness in a lot of entrepreneurs, successful people, and just people in general which means we probably are pretty bad at identifying our own blind spots and weaknesses too. And so how do we make sure we have the right people around us to point these out? I imagine this connects into the healing work that you've talked about. It does. Yeah. So let's tie it together. Um, what I would say, and this is what I tell people, I'm going to say to our, our industry, it's, it's what I know, and then it does tie to all areas. So this is what I tell people. I, I had a call this morning, was introduced to this person, uh, having, having a tax liquidity event, so I, we get brought in. And I said, look, if I'm in your shoes, this is what I'm doing. First of all, no matter who you work with, let's get to the bottom of the iceberg. Because what we're talking about is this big tax bill that needs that's going to be owed. And a tax li liquidity event means selling a big asset or, or, or selling shares in a big asset. So you're going to have an influx of income. And you so got it. how do you make sure that you don't pay more tax than you should? You got it. So this is, pro this is, this is a classic example, and I think it ties to all areas of life. All right. So, right. Could be real estate, could be a business, could be a stock, an asset, low basis. You sell big gain, you got taxes due. All right. It was, it's a big number. So the focus was on how do we... How do we avoid this tax or minimize it, which is a fine conversation. And they had met with all kinds of different professionals, tax attorneys, CPAs, et cetera. And that was the focus. And I'm like, great, that needs to be looked at. However, if we start there, we're likely putting a Band-Aid on something that's going to really freaking hurt when we have to rip it off five years from now, because here's what really should happen. Let's talk about you as an individual, as a person. Let's talk about you and a family and your wife and your kids and your siblings and your parents and what's really going on there. Let's talk about the business that you're looking to sell and what you want to do next and what you like and what you don't like. All of these things, you need time, space, and margin to do it. 
but it's the example of easy, hard versus hard, easy. What everyone else is hearing, 30% of the conversation, really bright tax attorney, here's how we'll avoid paying the tax. That's easy, but hard's going to be down the road. Let's do the hard, easy, where we do the work to really get clear on what you really want, the bottom of the iceberg. We're talking about the tip, the part that we can see, this tax bill. Let's get to the bottom of the iceberg, which is where the real work is done, typically healing. And from there, the freaking move, the tax moves, obvious. All these smart people can tell you what tax move once we get to the depth of the iceberg to know the real agenda, which is typically the last 5% of conversations, not the first 30%. I absolutely love that because- Imagine if you were an investor. You know, you don't you know people say all the time, if you would have bought Berkshire Hathaway in 1979 with $10,000, you would have this many billions. Okay, you can't do that. But you can say what would be a good move today that would be still a great move 100 years from now. I may be dead, but it's going to be a great move 100 years from now. That's so much easier than saying what move should I make that would be good t- tomorrow or next year. It's like an easy bet. Um, For me, it's like, hey, buy a lot of farmland because obviously they're not making any more land. But anyway, that's besides the point. And one thing I loved when Rich was on the podcast, we talked about seven generations of families and looking three generations back, looking at your current generation and looking three generations into the future. And if you made every decision based off of that, it would change everything. Yeah, it's interesting to say that. And that was something actually I shared. Uh, I learned so much from Rich and actually the Legato works, his work, the one con- the, the, the contribution I've made to the Legato work is the structure. How do you take that? And that actual seventh generation example came from me doing due diligence in reading, because um, we're calling it family constitutions. And in reading where our constitution came from, it came from the Iroquois Confederacy the great law of peace, which was around for hundreds of years, centuries, to be a way of living and a document that that worked for hundreds of years. So Ben Franklin and Jefferson and others confided and talked to and counseled with them. However, and a lot of, I have several books to to show and prove this, our, our constitution comes from that great law of peace. Multiple things were left out, but two really big ones. One was the role of women in leadership in government was part of that document that we left out. Number two, and you could call that feminine and masculine as that we all have both. And two was seventh generation thinking. Every decision that was made by an elder was looked, how is it going to affect seven generations from now? Our family, other families, plant family, animal family, water, soil, that's how it was viewed. And that is critically important that got left out. And that's what that's part of what we want to bring out, starting from the family level, looking at this as seventh generation families is what we're calling it. I want to I want to go back to one point, James, and that is because you asked this, and I don't think I answered it. And that was I mentioned the way of getting to the bottom of the iceberg. What I didn't say is who can help you do that? Because your original question was sometimes we can't see it. Well, my answer to that is this: if it's in wealth management. Or if it's a healer that you're working with as as someone to talk to, or if it's a counselor in your business, or or you get the idea. Number one to me are there are they showing up without an agenda, and are they giving space to hear me? Can I get my point out, my questions out with space and margin before they interrupt and start giving me solutions? That's the first most critical component, no matter who you're working with, in my opinion. Number two, are they silos with egos? What do I mean? It's one individual, guru expert silo, and they got this freaking huge ego. They got to have the best answer. To me, that's not ideal. I want to see teamwork, no egos. What do I mean? Well, it's not just them. They have other people because no one person can have all the answers and I don't want someone that has to have the best answer. I want someone who wants to get to the best answer. So let's debate till we get to the best answer. No ego in it. Best answer for you. Number two. And number three, I always want to be educated. So whether it's with my money, my business, uh, healing work on a personal level, they listen, they get to the bottom of the iceberg. They don't have a huge ego and they got a team. And number three, they're going to educate me so that I feel empowered and I don't need a long-term guru. 
that's a hard person to find, I would say. And um, most of the people that I go to, maybe, or most people would go to, aren't going to be able to check those boxes. And I think that's possibly why advice is mediocre. And there's a lot of people that aren't getting better and improving. What if you don't have friends or mentors or professionals in your life who fit that? Like, how do you go and find them? Because that, I, I, when I, I read a lot of self help books, I read a lot of financial books. <clears throat> I consider them my mentors. Like, that's, those are the people I'm getting the information from. Their only agenda is to sell me a book. Okay, that's $10. They're not going to get rich off of that. Um, but I feel like there is that back and forth you mentioned is really important. And if you come from a family, it's first time family of, of wealth, which so many people have, or, or, or it's first people thinking about this sort of stuff, you may not have that family network already set up. Like, where do you start? Yeah. And I, I what you said is completely right. Like, this is not, I'm not going to say they're unicorns. It, 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 most people don't check the boxes, though. I will say they're out there. Um, and I was faced with this same thing because, again, I just gave an example. My folks filing for bankruptcy, my they did they had no money, and so I came from no wealth, and then start getting successful in business. And I'm like, oh, geez, this is another problem in and of itself. And then in 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 creating my team and working with other offices, that's how I learned these these issues of what would happen um, when when done wrong. So how do you go about finding them? I would say um, other people that you trust. Other people that have been successful, that uh, who do they work with and why? And think of it like this. Seneca, a uh, Stoic philosopher, wrote a book called Letters from a Stoic, I believe. And one of my all-time favorite books. And one of the things at the very first chapter, this hit me between the eyes uh, when I was on the beach with my wife, Angie, years ago and reading it. And he talked about, if you read... Book after book after book, it's like, because this is me, was me, and sometimes still is, book after book after book, it's like eating this great meal, and then you throw it up so that you can eat another great meal, or it's like having a wound on your arm, and you put this nice salve on it, and you cover it up, rip it off, because then I'm going to put another type of salve on it, and then I'll put another Band-Aid on it, and it's like, I oh, so right, so he said, you're so much better if you just find the fuel that you really have confidence in and then read everything that they have produced over and over again. So, you know, the content is good or better than they are. I think that's really good advice. And I'm going to add two things to that. One is the way to wealth is our wealth management process. The way is very intentional. It's the Taoist philosophy of being in harmony and living in the moment. So that's why it's like, let's use money today, that way. The two is the number two. And here's all I'll say about that. I call it a team. So the two in the way to wealth is, I believe the game is won or lost right there. So that's why when I said they listen, they're not silos with egos and they educate, they're out there. And if you can find the right twos in and your team in all areas of life, but if we're just talking money, the game is won or lost right there. Is it easy? It's not candidly, but that's the hard easy versus easy hard. You get that right, I think the game's won. I think you called two things out there that make a lot of sense. And another point I'll add is these types of people a lot of times aren't out there advertising their services yeah. because they're busy serving the people they already are working with or don't – a lot of times they don't even think they ha what they're offering is that valuable, right? That's exactly. Um, if you're getting a random email in your inbox about this expert that can save your business, they – if they're cold calling like that, they may not, they may not be the person. I'm just saying they may not be. That's exactly I right. find what you said about books being so true because I read a lot of books. I read, you know, a book or two a week. And a lot of times it's to prepare for the show. But the thing that I find super useful is when you find an author or a speaker or someone that you 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 jive with. For me, it's Zig Ziglar. And uh, an entrepreneur friend of mine, James Altucher. And once you read enough of their stuff and hear them speak enough, you actually start to be able to answer your questions as if they were the ones answering it for you without even having to go to them. 
But if you read a hundred different authors, you're not it, you're not going to have that same ability anymore. Spot on, and I'll give an example. Spot on. Uh, I'll give two examples to that. So, and I actually introduced this guy to Rich, who had a conversation with him this week and was blown away. Uh, his name's Jay Hughes, James Hughes. He's a tax attorney who's now, I don't know how old he is, but he's older, he's retired, been retired for quite some time. And this guy is just a straight up sage, just an absolute straight up sage. I believe Buddhist, nonetheless, he's just, ah, exudes wisdom. And it's like hardly anyone's ever heard of him. You know, when I'm sitting here and I, I riff all family constitution, you know, I just say, hey, that name and it sounds really cool. He's been you that he's been using stuff like that forever, but you never hear him even talking about it, right? And it's like it's because he's just got it. And so in talking to him, I'm like, this is the these are the people I want to I long to spend time with and sit at the feet at and listen and take in their wisdom that they truly have. They're not pretending to. He gives me an investment. I've been doing this since, you know, as I said, 91. He gives me this guy, uh, his name investing. And I, I, I won't share it, but I didn't know it. This guy's in Switzerland, I believe. So I, I check out a, a documentary and docuseries on him. He's unbelievable. And he buys these businesses that no one knows about because he does the due diligence and he never sells them, Warren Buffett style. He's looking at 100-year increments and um, so eccentric, but so on point with his process and no one knows him and he doesn't want anyone to know him. So just to, I guess, exclamation point or validate what you were saying. That's exactly right. Like they're the ones that you want to have on your team. And you go to someone like that and they want to talk to you. It's what they love. First of all, second of all, you say, Hey, who do you listen to? And then you learn their people. So if you, I think it just makes so much sense. Find people that you see, and this doesn't have to just be about finances. This could be about physical health. If you see someone who seems like they always have energy, they've got great physique, they, you, you can tell they care about their health, you spend time with them, you're going to learn who they listen to. So you go and start listening to them and your new friend, and guess what? In five years, you're going to be a completely different person. You can do that in every single category of your life. A hundred percent. So you mentioned James Altucher earlier, and it made me think of something I didn't mention before, and that is I heard him... Um, mentioned Michael Singer and why that struck a chord with me is I'm a huge Michael Singer fan. He's one of the, uh, the, the people that Seneca talked about. Who do you really resonate with and then go deep with them? So literally I've read every book and he's got multiple books, not just the surrender experiment, the untethered soul, and now the untethered soul living it. He's got a workbook, a journal, and he's got search for truth or something was his original book. And a second one after that point, I've read every one of those at least twice. He's got an online series. I've watched it multiple times. He does these weekly talks now since COVID. I've, I listen to them every week. I went to Florida to meet him in person before COVID. It's like January 2020. So I could meet him, be in his presence and experience that. And they're the kind of people, and I'm not saying he's the right one. For me, he is. Uh, but going deep with a few versus broad with many. And like you, I still read a lot. Uh, and, you know, and do check out what's going on with some new info. I just don't go deep with them. I don't spend that much time. It's these key uh, people that resonate with me that I, I go really deep with. I think that makes sense. So kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation, I don't want to miss out on the chance to talk more about the way to wealth philosophy, but I don't think we did justice to covering being healthy, happy, and wise as an individual yet. And I, I feel like we need to talk about that healing work you mentioned, and then we can get into the, the, the way to wealth. How does that sound for you? That's perfect, man. And maybe I'll touch a little bit on Legato because I know Rich was on and maybe spending a little time on the structure. So he went through the whole, um, he basically went through everything up to the structure. So we, we yeah. went through every single tenant. And so if someone's listening to this, they haven't heard that episode. Once you're done listening to this one, go back and um, look up the the Rich Christensen episode. It was a great episode. Um, yeah. And then a lot of this will make a lot of sense. But I am very interested. If you aren't healthy, happy, and wise with yourself, it's going to be very hard for you to set good, proper goals that are going to serve seven generations they're barely going to serve seven weeks. 
That's exactly right. Couldn't agree more. It's why it's structured this way. In fact, it's structured this way. This is indigenous wisdom. Uh, Chief Phil Lane is uh, uh, has become a, a, a friend, actually serve on the board of uh, chairman of Four Worlds Global Impact Fund. Uh, so very called to that space. And he, he wrote many, many uh, documents. One of them is called the Fourth Way, and there's 16 principles that indigenous principles that 500 elder, elders over a 30 year period put together. So it's amazing content. The synthesis is this. He talks about. He synthesizes it. It's about a 25 page document. And it synthesizes like this: starting from within, working in a circle, in a sacred manner, we heal and develop ourselves, our relatives, and our world. And I'm like. You can't make this up. That's exactly the intent of what I put together on the, the Infinite Entrepreneur. I, we, all that I learned from Paul Check, starting individually, then we as the family and relatives, then all typically is the business because then you're, that's where you're having your outreach if you're a business owner, but that's the order. So here's my frame for that. It's health, wealth, wisdom, and happiness. You remember Frank Benjamin Franklin, healthy, wealthy, wise, healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? He left out happy. Maybe it wasn't a thing back then, but it sure is a thing now. I have see people who have financial wealth who aren't very happy. So I added that. I have three things under each one, um, and it's this. So if you think of health, spiritual, mental, physical health are three things under it. To me, is what create uh, health. Wealth is being financially free. Right, there's plenty of ways about going to going about doing that, but financially free. Then having enough. Because I know billionaires who don't have enough, and I know people with $100,000 that have enough, who are wealthier than the billionaires, in my opinion. Then third, the ultimate human need in wealth is to be seen and loved. So love is the ultimate game, in my opinion. In wisdom, wisdom to me is living in the present moment, having lots of experiences. It's what we're on this place to do, is have a bunch of experiences. That's what create wisdom and learning. And then third, being a lifelong learner. Last is happiness, because what's the point in all that if we're not happy? To me, happiness is healthy relationships, having a dream or purpose that we're contributing to, and being grateful. So that's my frame of living. Uh, that's my frame of sharing on the I level. That's living a fulfilled, meaningful life. That's my structure. Now, were there have there been areas? Are there areas where I need to work there? Yeah, having the frame shows me where oh, I'm a little out of balance here. Let me focus on that this quarter, and that focus can be meditation, prayer. If you go to church, if that's your thing, if you go in nature, if you're talking to a therapist, if you're using some sort of medicine, whatever it is for you, no judgment, no worries, just something to to uh, to work on healing because I believe that's what we're here to do. Because look. People come to me and they're say, oh, but gosh, you know, can you help me with my money? Well, of course we can, right? We've got a process called the way to wealth. And I'll say, here's what's so cool. The way to wealth will make you a billionaire in like one year. Interested? Oh my gosh, yes, sign me up. And you're going to have miserable relationships. You're going to feel completely unfulfilled and you're going to have questionable health. You still want it? No, because that's not what we really want. So I mentioned James Huge earlier, this basically sage elder, in my opinion. He gave me the definition of, well, I've been saying it for years, but he actually gave it to me. He's like, Scott, the, the Anglo-Saxon definition of wealth is the word, Anglo-Saxon, -Anglo is we all, W-E-O-L. And the definition of we all is well-being. So the definition of wealth is well-being. And I'm like, yes, that's what I've been saying, but you just gave me the context and the proof behind it. That's what we all want. So I say start there. Then we can go to Rich's work with Legato family and work on being in harmony as a family. I have sort of a gripe with this FIRE movement. And for those that don't know what it is, it's financial independence, retire early. And mm. here's my gripe with it. Are you, I don't know how familiar you are with that movement. Um, I'm, I know it, but I'm not crazy familiar with it. And I may butcher the premise, but my understanding of the premise is work really, really hard, maybe in your 20s and 30s, get a couple million in the bank, and then live off of that for the rest of your life and never work again because work is so horrible. And I think there's going to be a lot of 50-year-olds who are really struggling and wondering what it was all for. 
and they they talk about living in so far below your means that it's almost like you're just camping all the time. And you've got you know two million in the bank or three million, whatever your number is, but you are living so frugally that you're camping. And maybe that's cool for some people, but I believe, and the Bible backs it up too, lots of wisdom backs this up. We were made to work. So if you don't love what you do, okay, you need to change it. But it doesn't mean like work is bad altogether. Like I can't do any work, but I don't like my job. So that means all work is bad. Yes, I do. I am familiar with that movement and you can hear I don't completely align with it. I, there's good in it and and people that love it and, and are, are drawn to it. Wonderful. That's for you. It's not for me. To me, um, if, if first of all, if you just focused on, you know, working and working really hard at the beginning, it, I did that. And it's like, that's not the answer. Second, work's not bad. It can be, that's the dream and purpose. Like it can be so fulfilling. If I'm sweating working in my garden in a permaculture setup, I love that. If I'm working in my business, creating things on a 10 hour day, I love that. I, I'm passionate about it. So it, that's not a grind for me. Um, so that's where it doesn't resonate. And doing this for so many years, I could tell you how many business owners that I have seen sell and become miserable. And then what ends up happening, um, I've seen one, them not go back to work and stay in a, in a not good state, including depression. Or two, they jump back into something so quickly because they're just so hungry to get back into the game. And they thought that, and here's what's so interesting about us. Well, as entrepreneurs, if we think we were successful at one business, we're brilliant. So we're going to be successful at all. So they jump into something. They have no freaking idea what they're doing and they crash and burn. And the point is, why did you even walk away and sell that to then do what? So that's where I struggle with that movement as well. Yeah, I think that I just want to hit that point home. If you don't love the work that you're doing, there's never been a better time in history to go and do something new because everyone is hiring. No one can find anyone who wants to work. And if you're willing to work hard, you could switch any field you want right now, get a job, work your way up and do something you love if you don't love what you're doing right now. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, and if you show up with the premise of, and this is a Michael Singer phrase that I use all the time, every moment presents yourself to lift it. And like, if you're gonna sweep floors, how can you enjoy it and be like the best floor sweeper ever? And if we just all showed up like that, no matter what we're doing, work and getting paid is not going to be your issue. At work, everyone's needing and starving for people like that. There, uh, I love that that quote because I just think there's so much joy in doing a good job, even if it's straightening curtains. I was at Podcast Movement in Dallas last week, which is this big podcasting conference, and I applied to be a speaker and I wasn't selected, which is good, which is fine. I'm new to the podcasting world within a year. So then I said, you know what? If I can't be a speaker, I'll volunteer. So that way I'll get the behind the scenes look. I'll get to, you know, have a staff badge. I'll be able to go anywhere I want and really get to know people. And the day one, I was in this room, the marketing room. The guy's like, hey, can you straighten those black curtains that are behind the stage? And I know he just wanted to keep me busy. He just gave me a task. I straightened those curtains 400 times the rest of the week. <laughs> Every time a presenter was done, I went and was like, oh, someone went backstage. I need to go fix those curtains. And I, they looked beautiful. And I feel like that's such an easy thing to do that it has doesn't require any money, doesn't require any special breeding, any special background, or any kind of training. Just do the best you can with whatever task you're given and man, the world will, will, will open up for you. A hundred percent. I had that shared. I did my best to share that with my kids and still do. And they're grown. It's, it's like, you know, trimming bushes and, you know, doing something in the lawn. I was always like, man, if you could, if you just do it. Like you just wanted to do the best job in the world at that. You'll never, ever need to look for work because there's so much opportunity for someone who takes it like that. Like how, if you went, you're showing up that way. 
I was just waiting for those jets to fly over. <laughs> oh, no worries. No big deal. I, I did I did hear him. I was on a uh, podcast yesterday, and I had the same thing. I had to mute mine. We, the, we're, we're on 145 acres, so, but it, I, we must be in a flight zone. Normally, you can't hear him, but sometimes this helicopter goes by, and oh, my gosh, he, he, he or she was just like, getting it so i was trying to mute and unmute and anyway i get it i just make a joke of it now and i learned this at podcast movement they're like oh your listener wants to feel like they're at the kitchen table mm. listening to the two of you so like don't worry so much about that stuff so anyone who's listening like i live near an airbase and fighter jets fly over i think it's pretty cool but they're really loud <laughs> that is cool actually yeah, so, and like I said, uh, <laughs> helicopter over here yesterday, so I totally get it and embrace it. So you mentioned lifetime learner there. So what does that mean to you, and is it something that can be cultivated for others? I think it can. I think it can. Was it, it was it uh, Carol Dweck, the fixed versus growth mindset, for one. That's one of my all-time favorite books. And yeah, I think the, you know, we have core, core, four core values at our company. And one of them is can I, C A N I, constant, never ending improvement. And I just believe that's what we're here to do is to be a lifelong learner. I, I, I mentioned kids earlier. One of the things that I used to say a lot were two one is, what can you learn from this? Because I think everything is a teaching moment, and or what can you be grateful for? So, yeah, I'm driven by constant, never-ending improvement and being a lifelong learner. Well, uh, it, you know, people talk about investing because we're in wealth management. What's the best investment? That's easy. That's you. The all-time absolute best investment ever is in yourself. And that's not just me. Benjamin Franklin and people way before us uh, would teach that. I just think we're we're forgetting it. And it doesn't have to be traditional academia either. That's actually not the path I took. Um, yet I'm a voracious reader and learner and have a, a really, in, in a lot of ways, unquenchable appetite to just continually want to learn and grow. And I think it's what we're here to do. So to me, that's a key component of living this life fully. Do you have any fear of being a beginner and a new hobby or passion? I don't think I do. Um, I can't say I've always been that way. So one of my things, I'll give you an example, is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And it's been a little while since I've trained. But I wrestled most of my life and then uh, started Jiu-Jitsu when I saw this in the late 90s. And my first class was like 96. And my gosh, I was a fish out of water with a wrestling background with Jiu-Jitsu. And they just handed my butt to me over and over and over again. Um, and it was wonderful. Uh as long as you show up like that, the risk becomes getting good at it or anything else. And now you know it or you think you know it. And now all of a sudden, so I think the healthiest thing to do is to always have a beginner mindset, like a white, uh, a black belt can learn from a white belt. And I think starting new things. And I, I, I didn't have to really think about that too hard, James, because I, 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 I don't fear it that much anymore. And I'm not even sure why, but like, that's why I love, you know, I got into keeping bees because it was new. It was intriguing. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but it's like, I'm going to get into it. Permaculture. It was new. It's intriguing. I'm going to learn about it. Uh, I, it on and on. Uh, my wife bought me a unicycle here uh, a year ago. Why? Because she knows I'm going to get, I'm going to figure it out until I'm able to do it. Well, just so you know, I could help you because- I learned when I was maybe 14 or so. There was just one in our garage. I don't know where it came from. It was there. One summer I was bored, started riding that thing. And then I, the rest, the next three years, I abandoned my bike and I rode the unicycle around with my friends on their bikes instead. And I got to the point where I could uh, juggle on it. I could play basketball on it. I could play Frisbee on it. I haven't ridden it in a while but it's still up in in in, in my parents house up in and uh <laughs> you think you still got it oh 100 i know for a fact i can still do it okay i believe sure. i could use i could use the help i think i've not mastered it yet i i uh don't just don't worry about falling you know <laughs> that's gonna happen it's part of learning oh, yeah exactly <laughs> i'm the same way though i could probably rattle off a hundred 
hobbies or ambitions or or things I want to learn. If for me, it's it's like I used to be kind of a person that wouldn't finish things, where I would start it and quit after two days and never touch it again. And I had to train that out of myself. And so mm. now I only will take on what I know that I can I can finish, or I quit early and realize it's just not for me. Um, and so I make sure, like, hey, if you know, one of the things I want to start learning is guitar. But instead, before I do that, I got to make sure I finish learning this other thing. And so I can make sure I can give it the full attention it needs. <laughs> I love that. And that to me, that's the piece of yes, life I'm learning and just experiences. Um, you know, it's, it's same thing there. You know, young people at times will say, you know, what career? How do you find your passion? There's lots of books on that. To me, it's like, it's a long life. Having experiences, how you learn all of that. Just go try stuff and you're going to dig it or you're not. So I think that's what we're here to do is to have fun, interact. It's part of what we're here to do. Have fun, interact, and experience uh, this 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 earth. And so I love that and am passionate about it. And a, a warning to folks listening, Cal Newport wrote a book. And the book, I think, was called um, So Good They Can't Ignore You. And he basically described you love your work when you're really good at it. If you aren't good at it, you might not like it that much. So sometimes the reason you don't like what you're doing is you just need to get some more skills or some more comfort or just get better at it. And it it's the reason why there's so many amazing people out there doing jobs that may not be glamorous and may not be a job you want to do, but they're they love it. Like they they live off of it and it's because they're super good at it. Yeah, that is great. That's exactly right. And I'll add to that because I read that book is it also gives you leverage because now as you, now that you've gotten good at something, whether it's a trade or whatever it is, now you have a tool that you can lever use as leverage to be able to get to get ahead and make some progress. And he does warn in that book that some people I think he, he did he trade you trade in your experience for more freedom and flexibility at some point you have to, you, it's like part of the the natural law and order of growth and development eventually you want more freedom and flexibility which ends up being time time to focus on your body time to focus on your marriage time to focus on your family so you have to exchange your experience to get that but the risk is doing it way too early if you do it too early like in the fire movement like we were talking about or any or anywhere you might have to start back from the beginning. Exactly. Yeah, it's again, it's a great, and it's such a short book, but such a good book. Uh, specifically, I think for someone young trying to find their way and like what's going to be their career and purpose. Um, one of the things, if you don't, if if it's okay, James, I would love to give a little structure because I know Rich was on, and I know he, I know he wants me to do that. It's, I was so looking I at the time, sure. so we don't have a lot left. So let's do what we can. But maybe be planning the seed for us to continue the conversation Beautiful. in full on another episode. Happy I just, to. I, I, I'm just, I am really into, when you mentioned it's more about the, the I and then the we, then the all, I don't think we talk about the I enough. We skip right to the all or the we. So I, but let's make sure we make agree. this a complete conversation and cover some of that, uh, that structure because at least to. then people can go and dig in more on their own to find the rest happy to and maybe round two james will talk about the business the four p's of a sustainable business and way to wealth how do we make the money clean and uh support this thing called life so yeah and you know doing a book that launches uh first of the year the infinite entrepreneur and a docuseries too which is this stuff so 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 happy to uh talk more about those two topics to be able to wrap it up um so yeah if you if you're cool, I'll jump into structure. Uh, so of course, Rich talked about he. I, I know he did an amazing job of laying down the values for for a family, symbols, traditions, doctrine, rites of passage, and all his amazing work. Once the work is done and you're clear, we then put that in what's called fam a family constitution. So I call the structure framework seven generation families, which I spoke to earlier of the why behind that. Then. I set up, we set this up in a document. It's about 20, 25 pages. That's a formal document that we call a family constitution. It's all in one place. And the beauty of doing that 
is now you have something that you're really clear on and understand that you can take to an estate planning attorney or a tax attorney, and you really have language you can communicate. Because most times you don't even know what, you know, you go in and they say you should have this blah, 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 offshore trust, domestic asset protection trust, whatever. And you're like, okay. And you end up with this document. You don't even know why you have it. This is like the preamble to it. This is the actual English of why you're setting up what you're setting up that you understand and you help build. From there, we set up the team. So this is also an affinity symbol, and I can share this link and logo with you of seven generation families. This is the family office. Like who is going to be the tax attorney? Who is going to be the CPA? Who is going to be the insurance person and make sure they're working together? And then from there, we draft the documents and we call this family legacy. So this is where we set up some sort of trust potentially or will or whatever legal structure needs to be set up, maybe a Wyoming trust, whatever. That's the legacy. And then lastly, we structure and put in place a family bank, which also could be a corporation. There's other ways to set up a, a what, what I'm calling a bank that we use to fund what we said was important to us. So I've done all this. I, we did the, the constitution. I have the family office for our family. We've set up the actual trust document and we have what we call our Ford family bank. And the idea here is to structure it in such a way where we're creating opportunities for generations to come, not entitlement. So, you know, I'm doing it where they can take a loan from the family bank and they'll need to pay it back. They want to start a company. Wonderful. You put together a business proposal as a, as a child or a grandchild or grand-grandchild. We want this to go for generations. We're going to give you a more favorable interest rate than you would get locally. That's an opportunity. I never had that opportunity. We're going to, you want to, you want to go to education because we believe in education. We'll match it. 50% will pay, 50 you pay. We want you to have skin in the game. So we're we did our best to structure ours where we're creating it's not for one person. Like we have two kids. It's not, hey, they get this pile of money. No, they get amazing opportunities that they can take advantage of. But guess what? Their kids are going to have the same opportunity because of the structure in place and because of the family bank with the rules put in place. They're going to have the same opportunity. And that goes on for generations to come. Then there's modes put in there to be able to protect it. But that gives you an idea of how do you structure all the amazing work that Rich has put together in Legato. Is there examples of families that started this process and the founding family is what I'll call the one that sets it all up maybe has passed and it's still going or maybe two generations have passed and it's still going? Because that would there be is. my concern is like, okay, I can, while I'm alive, I, it's going to be executed. But what about two generations from now or one even? There is. It's a great question. And the answer is yes, there's multiple. And the, the most well-known likely is the Rockefellers. What we're talking about exactly what they did. There were families who passed on money. They decided they wanted to pass on values and traditions and structure and opportunities versus money. So that particular families, the, the amount, you know, at the time uh, was an enormous amount of wealth. It's, it's grown uh, exponentially, uh, uh, the Rockefeller's wealth. And the reason is because they did structure it with rules as a family bank. In their case, my understanding is they used a certain type of insurance where a product as far as insurance to refund it. So each child, if you wanted a loan, you had to have, in their case, I think it was a whole lifetime policy structured properly, that uh, if you don't pay the loan back, the death benefit replenishes the trust. That's because some, some are not going to pay it back, right? Guess what? If you think long enough term and the trust funds a policy on them, it replenishes to make this thing go, to keep this thing going on into perpetuity. So there is, yeah, there are families who've done it successfully. Uh, and then there's lots of examples of not structuring it. You're just passing on money where it's the traditional um, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Yeah. And there are people that, think that's a good thing that we would go back to shirt sleeves in three generations and that it could be reallocated to new people and new ideas uh i personally disagree because i if my values are great and if what i built was honorable then it should go on forever <laughs> yeah i think what happens to uh, you're you're on a, a, a spot on point from my perspective so one i think it's a good idea to go on in per per perpetuity if it's thoughtful and set up 
I think the shirt, and Rich and I have talked about this, I think the shirt sleeve to shirt sleeves happens for a reason and sometimes a good reason because they didn't do this work. They're just, they just poured themselves into whatever it was in their business, didn't do the work, didn't set up the values, dumped the money on the next generation. And the third generation's like, screw this. I don't want to live this and focus all on that. And, and it's intentionally blown because they want to balance it out. And that's why I think that that rule actually plays out. If doing the work, being thoughtful, having conversations, setting up values, uh, and being thoughtful, then I think it can go on into perpetuity and be an, an actual good thing. And to, to close with this point, I think that's why it's so important that you start with your infinite entrepreneur premise and get yourself right first. Because if you're right, you're going to set th something up that's much stronger than just money. Because you said it. You said there's billionaires that don't have what some people have that have tens of thousands of dollars. And it's because money isn't a real thing. It's really about the experiences that you can get with it and the life that you can build. And I think that that makes so much sense. And we'll, um, we'll go definitely more into that next time we chat. And, uh, I, uh, I could geek out. I, I, we, I, we could probably spend three hours geeking out on this kind of stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, it's all good, man. This is, this is my life. I, I love it. And this is what I'm passionate about living and sharing. So wonderful. So for folks listening to this, that heard a taste of what you do and want to know more, want to hear from you, want to know when your book's coming out and your docu-series, where do they go? Like, and what, how can we support what you've got going on? Yeah, I'll give two spots and I'll start with Legato family just because Rich was on and if they want to learn more about the family and how to go online and do something like this for their family, go to legatofamily.com. Online option, a Zoom facilitated option where Rich and team can be a part of and in-person option. Second would be my podcast and website, which is The Way, the number two and wealth, thewaytowealth.com podcast. Uh, information on everything upcoming of what I'm up to with content creation. And that's the financial component of Infinite Entrepreneur, which we didn't talk much about. We can do that next time, but they can learn more at thewaytowealth.com. Awesome. Yeah, I would love to go more into the financial side, but I think it's it's natural that we didn't because if we don't get ourselves right, then what's it for? And uh, <laughs> so I think that's 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 really cool. Um, I'm so grateful you came on and I got a whole page here for us to go on next time. And I'm just, uh, I'm loving what you're doing. So please keep it up. Yeah. Thanks, man. Enjoy it. Keep doing your podcast and sharing your knowledge as well. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the James Quandall show. The show notes for this episode and other goodies can be found at quandall.com. Are you enjoying the show? If you are, please subscribe and leave a review. I may end up reading your review live on the next episode. Subscribing, leaving a review, and telling your friends about the show is the best way to support me and help the show grow. See you next time.